Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. Babies wait for no one or no thing. No matter what's going on in the world, they will still be born. And we as mothers have to figure out how to cope. Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 80 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and I'm excited to dive into this week's episode. Would you mind taking a quick screenshot of you listening to the episode and upload it to your Instagram stories? Tag Happy Home Birth Podcast, and I'll be sure to share in my stories as well. I know that so many of your births were and are being affected by COVID-19. My heart goes out to you as this has changed the landscape of birth on many levels. Of course, mothers who plan to give birth in the hospital have been affected, but this is also true of mothers in the home birth setting. Today, we'll hear from Yosefa, who gave birth at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. This interview was incredibly special because we were able to be joined by Yosefa's sister, Yakova, who currently resides in Israel. Yakova is a midwife with several credentials, I might add, and although she was not able to physically be at Yosefa's birth, she was able to support her virtually. It's such an amazing story. Okay, let's head to the interview. Please remember that the opinions of my guest may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa. And though one of our guests is a midwife, none of us are acting as your medical provider, so continue to see your doctor, midwife, or if you're like me, your chiropractor. Yosefa and Yakova, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks. We're really excited to be here. Yes. Okay, so I would love for you both to start off taking turns introducing yourselves. So we'll start with you, Yosefa. Would you mind introducing yourself to the listeners? Sure. My name is Yosefa, and both my sister and myself, we grew up in South Florida. But in um, 2006, I moved to Australia with my partner, and I had my first two children there. Very nice. And Yakova? Okay, let's see. I went on a journey of learning about birth and different angles of the birthing experience. I first studied to be a doula, and then I studied to be a home birth midwife. And then I later on went on to become a nurse midwife. And like in between all those educational experiences, I also had three of my own children. They were all home births. And yeah. That's (laughs) amazing. um, And you are recording this interview from Israel right now, correct? Yep. (laughs) That's so awesome. I'm so excited to hear about all of your different You guys have been in some very different places. It's going to be really neat to hear how birth has been different in each one. So let's go ahead and start with you, Yakova. You were just discussing how you kind of had this journey to where you are now and you were having your children throughout that time. You said you started as a doula. How did that come about? Um, Well, actually, a friend and mentor invited me to a home birth she was having. And I went there to observe, I guess, and see where I was needed. And I ended up kind of being her birth assistant, being there for her throughout the whole labor. And then her midwife actually almost missed the birth. <laughs> but it, that, well. was my, um, that was my first experience with a birth, natural birth, home birth, everything. It really touched me. And the most important thing was it, it made me realize that I was good at it. 
I mean, I don't mean to sound ostentatious, but I felt like I helped her and she was really happy that I was there and grateful. And, and I realized I felt good doing it and I enjoyed helping women and it was something I could do. So then I felt like, okay, this must be my calling on some level and I need to explore it further. Wow. Yep, that does not sound ostentatious at all. I definitely believe that any type of birth worker, you don't just randomly jump into that. That is certainly something that is a calling. Mm -hmm. So how did that go? Once you decided to jump in, what did that process look like? Um, well, it was a long and a winding process, which is, explains a lot of things in my life. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I go in lots of circumnavigational journeys. But um, I was actually in Israel like 17 years ago, and I was looking for something to do. And then I heard about this really special labor coach, and she offered courses, and she was like a known figure in the region. And she offered the courses in English. So I decided to take the course and it was really interesting and it really spoke to me. And then I started doing doula work. Yeah. And then I went back to America and continued. And then I wanted more than that. So I went on to train in a birth center that was also run by a really special woman who was like a mover and shaker in the birthing world, different parts of the country. And mm -hmm. that was a really special experience. And yeah, and then I like moved around a few times to different states with different laws and regulations right. until finally I decided I need to get my nursing degree and get my nurse midwifery degree so that I could do more and I could be more qualified in like, you know, wider circle of places mm -hmm. per se. So that's what I've done now. And I also branched into women's health, which I actually really enjoy. And especially now, you know, having small children. It's not always practical running to births right. at the drop of a dime. So I, feel you um, there. I actually, yeah, so I enjoy, I actually really enjoy like education, giving prenatal care and women's health issues. That's like where I'm trying to focus right now as opposed That's to incredible. You know, going to birth. Right. Just yeah. being on call all the time. So Yosefa and was then, mentioning that the way that you became a nurse midwife was kind of different. Now, did this happen in the United States or was this in Europe? No, I became a home birth midwife and then I moved to New York. In New York, I couldn't practice as home birth midwife, but I didn't have that much going on. We were like living up in the mountains. There wasn't like a lot of things to do. So I decided to go to grad school and get my certified midwifery license, which is like a nurse midwifery, but without the nursing. Mm -hmm. And then eventually we, we moved back to Florida and I realized that I couldn't do much with it, only in the state where it was accepted. So then I went to nursing school, which my, so mother, <laughs> my mother told me to do when I was 18 years old. Mm. And now I'm 40, but I finally listened to her. <laughs> <laughs> you got around to it. Yeah, yeah That's amazing. Yeah. So you are every type of midwife, basically. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I can pull from all the different paths and combine them. And it's just interesting that my sister and I, we've always been on different continents when we're birthing. <laughs> Right. And I would love for us to jump into that as well. So Yosefa, you were telling me earlier before we started the interview that you and your sister actually ended up being pregnant with your first children at the same time. And it wasn't planned that way. So what was that like? Yeah, especially since I would have probably been married at least five years. So she just got caught up really quickly. <laughs> and before you know it, she was married and expecting her first about, you know, 10 to 14 days before me. So that was a sweet surprise. 
and we probably at the time we didn't even realize the benefits of having like children so close in age, but they're really close. They're two girls, so they really have a nice relationship that they manage to make that happen for themselves. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I was first introduced to, I suppose, the midwifery model care once I found out I was pregnant in Australia. And then I was like, how does this system work? Like what, you know, just give me a doctor, like give me a name. So I don't, you know, and when a doula at the time becoming a midwife kind of turned around and said, well, I can't really suggest any doctors I really love. And even the ones I love, you can't get them if you wanted to. Let me just explain to you how it works. And here I thought you just get an ultrasound and every, you know, OB appointment, kind of like in the movies, right? And she's like, no, it doesn't work that way. And she just like sat me down, you know, and it turned out to be, you know, such a blessing that I got to go a birth center route. And it's unique that birth centers are located in hospitals and through the hospital system, you can birth at home as well. So that was my introduction. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's crazy how, you know, birth and midwifery. And, you know, it's all so different depending upon where you are, not only in the world, but also just like we were discussing with Yakova, state to state, everything is, it's, it's not even all the way around, but that's a really great thing that you got to get that experience without even, you know, choosing it initially yourself. You were kind of just introduced to it during your first pregnancy. And Wow, I guess that changed a lot for you because you chose to do that with all of your subsequent pregnancies. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, after my first, I was like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, like this is like uber empowering and um, Mm. I need to get more women onto this. Like if this is something everyone potentially could feel like, you know, why isn't anyone talking about this? So I knew right then and there, although very part-time that I would, you know, help support women in labor as well. And that's what I went to go on to do. And I've been back almost two years and I've worked in a hospital format. And just the more I learn and, you know, with regards to protocol and procedural in the United States hospitals, although I'm sure everyone is different, I do look back at my experience and go, wow, like I was just so grateful, you know, in those instances to be exposed to so many, to see so much normal birth. Right. And yeah, but certainly like in my first labors and things, I, I had, you know, I definitely... I'm sure Yakova had a lot of overflow and like influence subconsciously at that time that I could like present it pretty, like come to the plate. So, you know, like positive. Right. Like Having that support system. That I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like there was like a mantra during my transition phase. I don't know. It just, it kind of came out from somewhere. And I, I just remember thinking like, I'm doing this for my mom. I'm doing this for my sister. I'm doing this. Like, you know, it kind of came That's to me. That's powerful. So. That is super powerful. Yep. And it's amazing to think about the fact that, you know, there are so many women birthing across the world at the same time as you. I remember just thinking that in my most recent labor, just like, wow, I'm doing this with people right now, even though we're not together, I'm doing this with them. And so to be able to draw that feminine strength into it is really incredible. I did Mm -hmm. something interesting. I did something interesting my last pregnancy. I have a two and a half year old now. So it was, you know, almost two and a half years ago. I had a blessing way ceremony. Mm. I don't know if you've yes, ever please heard tell of us. that. Yes, I actually it, had one with my most recent daughter, but I would love to hear how you did yours. Okay. So I was going through a transitional time. I had a lot of insecurity, different things going on. I was in the middle of a accelerated nursing school program. Like I, I just had a lot of going on, you know, instability. Mm-hmm. 
And I just felt like I needed to feel to draw strength from the women that I had relationships with in my life. I just thought about it when you were saying how you felt like you thought about all the other women birthing at the same time as you. Mm-hmm. And you from that. And so I invited women over, maybe a dozen women that I felt really close to. And, you know, like all just different women from different backgrounds and you know, some families, some not family. And I was doing a kundalini yoga course at the time. So I had my instructor come and, and lead the ceremony. And it was really special. And one thing I did was I asked everyone to bring a bead, a bead or a stone, something that was meaningful to them and give it to me. And we did that. And then we strung it onto a necklace. And I still have that necklace. It's actually <laughs> on my dashboard window in my car. It's hanging there. But I felt like it created something that every time I looked at it, I felt like, like I remembered that there is women out there that cared about me and that I cared about them and that we were there for each other. That's beautiful. So that was, yep. Like yeah. a focal point for your labor. Yeah. Yeah. It was really That's, special and it, and it really did help me. But, mm. yeah. That's amazing. I've heard. So that was one thing that we did for my blessing way, which my beads are, they turned out to be really funny because there were a few children in attendance. So I've got like a mermaid tail as one of the beads, <laughs> like mm-hmm. some really interesting pieces. But another thing that I've heard of that's kind of that same vibe is that like each person that comes to the blessing way, they take a candle home with them. And then you, the laboring mother has a candle for each person that was there as well. And then someone kind of on the birth team alerts everyone when that mother is in labor and the mother lights all of the candles. And then each person at their own home lights their candle as well. I thought that was very touching. Yeah. You know, I think we also did that. Um, I didn't light candles though. I think it would have been nice if I actually also lit candles like to remember that. But yeah, I remember someone did do that. that they alerted the, the group and everyone lit their candle and, and had me in mind. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So these birthing times, you guys had your first babies tw- about 12 years ago. Your, your oldest are 12. Is that right? 10. 10. Gotcha. So yeah. 10. And then in the meantime, how many do you have, Yosefa? So I just had my third in March. I'll stop to gotcha. mention that. My and first, you- um, my first U.S. and first, first home birth. Because remember, I didn't essentially have home births, but, but when I was sort of drawing up the similarities and differences as, as far as protocol and procedural, it just turned out that my births were always equivalent to home births in the U.S., if that makes mm-hmm. sense. That totally makes so sense. Yeah. So you had both of your, your first two were in Australia? Yes. Okay. And then once you got back to the States and you realized you were pregnant again, when you were considering your previous birthing experiences, you're saying that's what drew you to home birth? Right. I just sort of like tallied everything up and said, well, what are my options? And I just want to have the continuity from my last birth choices. Like I want those options. I want to have that voice. What does that look like here? And as it turned out, it was equivalent to home birth, which is so interesting. Even though I gave birth essentially in a hospital in a birth center. Yeah. Right. But the freedoms allowed, you know, the ability to kind of be autonomous there is just, it's more of a, a common thing, I guess. And then here, if you want that autonomy, a lot of times that turns out being a, a home birth or an out-of-hospital birthing situation. Yeah, that's right. So 
let's go ahead and dive into your most recent birth, if that's okay with you, Yosefa. I'd love to hear, because this was in March, this is in the COVID pandemic. I know that that has influenced so many mothers in so many ways. So I would love to hear how giving birth in a pandemic affected you. Absolutely. Well, I didn't realize it would affect me until like, you know, a few days before. (laughs) I guess I was denial work sometimes as a uh, defense mechanism. But yeah, it was March the 27th that I gave birth. It was one week after schools closed around America and, you know, outside there. And it was during a time where it was just very fear-based. I mean, non-essential businesses closed that week. So forget about newborn photographers and, you know, even extra support people. I felt a little bit, oh, should I really bring them in? Because I had to respect other people in that environment. And it even extended to close family members. They even had that sort of sitting on them, you know, lots and lots of fear around what is this? We shouldn't be going out of our homes. So I didn't really, you know, have time to plan much, like have backup options and like build relationships in the case that I didn't initially have the support I planned to have. And and all during this time, Yukova actually was lovely enough to bring, you know, bring her kids across the seas to support me. So I think wow. we finally kind of got those tickets. I don't know if you remember Yukova, it was December or January. It was a little, you know, but it all came together. We're just like, yes, yeah, we're doing this. And then as the weeks crawled in, you know, like we're quite a relaxed family. So me and my dad was like, oh, you know, when the news headlines were coming up, we're like, Yakova, if she can jump on a plane, she'll jump on a plane. Like, we got this, no big deal. But then things just kept tightening up and kept tightening up. And Israel was sort of at the forefront of shutting their borders very early on. So as early as like, I think, mid-February, beginning of February, flights were being canceled from Europe to Israel. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But Yakova, you did make it over, right? No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> Actually, didn't. I didn't make it. That was this amazing part of this whole journey because I didn't make it over. My flights got canceled twice um, because it's like I was supposed to have a flight through Italy and then through France. And Israel was really like proactive in, in cutting off connections to countries that had more like strongly that the epidemic so mm-hmm. the, the flights could, couldn't land from those countries so so our flight was canceled and I was really disappointed because like we had a whole plan of how it was going to be and everything like that and uh, yeah but then actually we had this really amazing experience I mean for me it was amazing because <laughs> we did everything like over like what's that video virtual like, we, yeah Yeah, like we had a virtual, like I was there for her virtually, which I've never done before. I'm sure she's never had before either. It was, it was really neat. And it was like the first time that we were together during a birth and it was virtually, it was, it was really interesting. (laughs) That is amazing. And I actually have a friend whose family member lives many hours away and they're super close. And so the births where her parents can't make it both of the births that I've been to, they've had them on video. And so it's really cool to see how that works. You know, they're not there, but they get to witness the entire thing just like they were there. Yeah. I mean, we actually didn't even plan it, but I was looking back at some old messages and photos to kind of, I was writing like a rough timestamp of just in case I went like had stage fright this morning. 
And so I'm looking back and I think I must have planted the seed like two or three days before because I work with an agency in Miami and where I get interviews through to attend births. And they were all going virtual. So I kind of like just like kind of planted the seed, put it out there a few days before. And we didn't necessarily plan it. We just ended up kind of being on the phone. You know, I could text her in the middle of the night and it was her morning and said, does this look normal? Does that look normal? And it was just, I guess, yeah, natural to kind of pop up there and be on the on the phone. And there are very specific things, not just being like a bystander or someone who had a window to my birth, but there are very specific things that had to happen. And it happened because, you know, Yakova kind of directed it. And also, like, there's moments where I remember, oh, that was because of her. So, yeah. Oh, I would love to hear that then. Would you mind, would you guys mind going into that most recent story? Yeah, Um, sure. Well, I mean, just to put like a, put in perspective, I feel strongly that laboring women often can't speak for themselves. They might be thinking something in their mind, but it's really hard sometimes to actually vocalize what you need or what you feel. Mm -hmm. I just found, I mean, I found it for myself and I found it for other women and they really need an advocate who understands them and who knows ahead of time or senses what they need. And so like, I felt like I was able to be there for her and like pay attention like from an outside and pay attention to what was going on and be able to like guide a director step in where I could, which was like a really neat experience. <laughs> That's very cool. And it kind of goes back to your first birthing experience or the first time that you attended a birth, Yukova, and said that, you know, you felt like you were really able to make a difference. It sounds like you are very intuitive into what mothers need. And that's really cool to hear. And it's really neat that you were able to apply that to your sister's situation, even across the world. Yeah. Like, I mean, Yosefa, you could tell the details. <laughs> you could tell the story, but there were like different things that happened during the birth that I was like, Noah, get your husband on the phone. I need to tell him what, exactly what he needs to do now. You know, or, or you, okay, you're not calling the midwife. I'm going to call her and just tell her what's going on. <laughs> So it was like, it was nice because it's like this thing where you have to like balance what the woman wants, a laboring woman, but also, I mean, as a midwife, at least like also be able to direct, this is what I think should happen like for your well-being, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's what happened some level. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yosefa, would you? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'll- I'm just thinking, okay, should I do like the, the fast forward version or not? I don't know how much time. We're, All right. We've, um, we've got so some they, time. You go. Okay, great. So firstly, I should say that when I was interviewing midwives, I had like a couple in mind based on like threads and Facebook, but I didn't even consult my sister and I narrowed it down to two. And once I spoke to the first one, I didn't end up speaking to the second one. And the midwife I chose ended up being the same midwife my sister had for her No third. way. <laughs> yeah, in Miami. That's so, <laughs> so cool. I mean, it was, yeah, it was pretty much 80% going ahead by the time she, you know, she revealed to me, oh, that was my midwife as well. They were, you know, already they were connected. And then even the assistant midwife ended up being my sister's old college roommate, who she's kind of been journeying along with as well and been in pretty close proximity to throughout the years. So that was all really cool. Like, if she was able to have made it, she would have caught my baby, like, easily. They would have had no issues with that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That was the trust, you know, in relationship between the three. So I was due on the 27th or the 26th. It was like a Thursday. And when my due date came, I've never gone more than like three to four days overdue. And I've gone before 39 plus four, you know. 
So within around the due date and when the day came and it was nighttime, I'm like, well, nothing's happening. I better start like making this happen. I ended up doing curb walking, which I'm sure mm-hmm. most people are familiar with. But curb walking is where, you know, you have a curb and you put your foot up and down and you walk through those up and down, up and down, and then you'll switch sides and you'll do the alternate. So I did that around the block. That was it. And I sort of made it home. And that morning at 3 a.m., my waters broke spontaneously. And it was like a big flood. <laughs> and uh, it woke me up like in the middle of the night and it just kept coming and coming. So I, actually um, never, I never heard of the curb walking before. You have it? Oh. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, I it once saw awesome. I once saw a, a Chinese woman giving birth at a birth center and she had a hard time like her labor was stalled and her grandmother taught her something. Her grandmother was there and she took a piece of hard candy and she told her to squat and she threw the candy and she told her to kind of squat and waddle over to the candy like <sighs> on her knees. And then she just kept kind of tossing the candy and the woman kept kind of waddling to it like squatting. Right. And that's how her labor got going. (laughs) But I guess it's kind of like (laughs) curb walking, like the (laughs) opening the hips. Yeah. Right. Right. Helping kind of put the baby down lower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure I didn't look that awkward. (laughs) But someone someone did actually stop me on the street and said, Are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) I must have looked a little bit awkward. Do you know how to walk (laughs) normally? (laughs) Yeah. Are you sure you want to be doing that? And I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> right. I want to do that. <laughs> Who knows? I just know that around the time that you're due, you just, you know, if you want things to happen, you should start getting a little bit active. You know, mm-hmm. my husband's like six two, and I'm like five eight. So I figured, you know, we're baby isn't small. <laughs> Smaller the better. Sometimes, as Yakoba used to say, she's like, it's always easier to have a small baby. So then at three a.m., like we kind of jumped out of bed and. I immediately texted my sister and I said, is this normal? And she's like, eh, maybe, eh, not sure. But one thing from the very onset is I didn't want to message my midwife. I felt bad it was in the middle of the night. And I know these things take time. And I know usually with premature ruptures of the membrane, things don't always happen just right away. So she just kept insisting and kept insisting, no, you should really message your midwife. Even to the point where, Jacob, I don't know if you remember, you said this, sent me a message saying, in the life of a midwife, if she knows a woman's water's broke, she might eat something different for breakfast. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> and it's true. Like, as a birth worker, you kind of, hours ahead, you could be planning something. You could be, you know, boiling yeah. eggs for your kids, you know? You, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to show you that, like, the bigger kindness is, like, warning her ahead of time, because then she could start, like, planning her day accordingly. But not even that. But it wasn't just about the midwife's convenience. It was about you because I was worried about where your birth was heading. And I wanted her to be involved in, in the planning of it and the figuring out, like, you know, the plan of care. So the more she knew in advance, the, the better, you know, she could try to work out the details. I find that so interesting. It's so common for moms to feel like, oof. I just don't want to call them because it'll be too soon and that'll be a hassle and blah, blah, blah. And it's so funny being on the other side where you're like, no, no, this is my job. I do want you to contact me. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. So she responded immediately. Obviously, that was fine. And again, no contractions. So I went back to sleep. 
And about 9 a.m., I started getting up again. Not a whole lot of movement. My baby, even my angel of a baby, was even, I knew its personality in the womb. Like, it was so oh. chill. Like, I had a hard time answering the question when the midwife said, is your baby moving a lot? And I kind of, like, bit my finger thinking, oh, so chill. <laughs> I felt guilty every time I had to answer that. I kind of felt like I had to bluff it a bit. But he was just so relaxed to this day. And I sort of decided I would take a walk with my parents because, again, getting active. I knew from that point on I would be on a time clock. So I went for like a nice hour and a bit walk. Of course, they're really pushing me like, you should be home. You should be in the hospital. You should be somewhere as if I could like push a button and give birth. But it didn't work that way. <laughs> and I thought my mom would like be really well versed at this point. She would kind of know the drill. But of course, being parents, you know, they just look out for you. And I think on that day, about 1.30 in the afternoon, the midwife planned to come to check in on me. Anyhow, the colors of the waters were like a little bit yellow. Mm. They weren't completely clear. And she came and she had a check and I was like barely one. Like she couldn't even really get her finger in much. But at that point, you know, we wanted to say, well, what's next? Let's come up with a plan. And I, you know, we were like, umming and on. She's like, I don't think herbs are really going to work in this situation. Castor oil, eh, you know. But then I was like, oh, acupuncture, a nipple simulation. And these were all great ideas. So I got on the phone. I knew someone in the industry of acupuncture. And right away, I mean, of course, she said, can we do this outside? I mean, that was everyone on the back right. of everyone's <laughs> mind. But I was like, who wouldn't mind sitting in a hammock outdoors, right? Getting mm. acupuncture. So I ran right over there. And it's pretty much like as soon as I sort of started a little bit of nipple stim, um, sat in the chair. And started with the acupuncture, already I could feel movement, more so than any other time of the day. I never had any acupuncture during any of my other pregnancies. And she simulated the points three times. So at the beginning, at the onset of the needle, 15 minutes later, and then 15 minutes later again. And each time, I mean, I could definitely feel there was a lot of movement, apparently blood flow, like it opens up a lot of kind of like pathways throughout your body. And I also picked up a breast pump, like just to kind of help things along from a friend. And I was home at about 6 p.m., but already coming home, little contractions were starting. And they, they were short, but they had like a bite to them. I was like, oh, man, they're a bit like feisty, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> when we got home, I think it was already like 10 p.m., my sister's time. And we had a plan that we would do like the breast pump. And Yakova guided me on that. That was like a whole plan. And it was also leading into our Sabbath. So it was a little bit more complicated with some of our, our practices and Sabbath rules. But unfortunately, when I went to go open up the birth pool, we had an inflatable one. We hadn't opened it before. It was covered in mold. <laughs> uh, so like disheartening to me because I just knew I had a water birth for my second. And I just knew I needed water. It wasn't like, oh, birth water birth kick it wasn't it was just like I couldn't imagine being anywhere else that was like a definitive moment in my second birth where it was like my bottom kind of felt like it was going to fall out from underneath me and I just I needed that anti-gravity so I knew it was really important and I also knew my husband's worst pet peeve is mold like he despises it so it's like (laughs) you know it was five minutes before the sabbath how am I gonna there's just no way to get any others like it's not possible and I remember being on the phone with Yakova and she's like, hand the phone over, you know, like get my husband. And next thing I know, I come out and my cleaner, she always insisted on having a hard brush with a handle, you know, a stick. And my daughter's in there with their gloves and the bleach scrubbing away. Wow. <laughs> the three of them. 
but I think it was, you know, I don't know what Yakova said. <laughs> she must have said something because that was a big one. Do you want me to tell and you? I'd sure. like to know what you said. <laughs> I just told him because I think he was saying something about Zoe's this conflict, you know, on the Sabbath, you shouldn't be working. You can't work and do certain kinds of work. And can you do it? Can you not do it? You know, how much does she need it? And I told him an analogy, which is in our holy books. It says, when a woman is in labor, anything she wants, she must have. And mm-hmm. any rule, no matter how strict or how important the rule is, what she needs overpasses any rule and any commandment that we have. And then it says to the point that if a blind woman is laboring in the dark and she wants a candle lit, even though it's against the Sabbath lit to light the candles, it must be lit wow. for her. Even if she's blind and she can't hear it in the first place. Do you understand that, you know, magnitude of that? Like, to anyone else, what does it matter? A blind woman, she doesn't need a candle lit. Like, what is, what's that going to do for her? But if she wants it lit, and that's important to her when she's in labor, then any rule can be surpassed to be able to meet her needs. I love so that. I, so I explained that to him. <laughs> and then he got to work. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the birth pool got cleaned out, and then what happened? So, yeah, it couldn't have been fast enough. But through the breast pump and nipple stimulation, the idea is is that you you use the tools like to help kind of bring on oxytocin, but then you stop to see if it's something that picks up on its own. You know, so that was the plan, like pumping for five minutes at a time or ten minutes at a time, the rest, and then seeing what happens. And it kind of picked up. And so by 7.30, it was already establishing itself. The contractions were like quite short, like 30 to 40 seconds, two or three minutes apart for most of the time. I never had such short contractions, but Yakova like gave a personal account to say that happened in her last birth. So it could be, you know, it's not always right according to the kind of the textbook. And, right, your um, uterus does not know about the textbook. Yeah, so um, <laughs> that was fine. It was reassurance yeah. that she told me and, she was commenting on the video and like she had her on the WhatsApp and her ear, you know, the ear pods were in my ears and she's kind of like keep moving and just like dressing me a bit. And that was nice. Like it was just like a pleasant surprise. Like, Oh, okay. She's really here. And by eight fifteen, I just stopped recording because I think things just got intense enough that I, there's that point where it's like, this doesn't matter anymore. But I know that Yakova was listening. She hasn't been listening because she, you know, she was the one who called the midwife. She was like, okay, this is happening now. And I didn't have to do anything from that point of view. Wow. So that was really nice. Yeah. I don't know. You could ask her what exactly like went off in her head to think, okay, this is the right time. But apparently yeah. it was. Yeah. I don't know. You cover what, what made you think like it was time now to call the midwife? Would you- well, I feel like there's just a switch in labor mm-hmm. at a certain point where a woman gets more introspective and she kind of she goes into herself and she's less talkative less responsive less analytical like that part of the brain kind of shuts down for a lot of women and she just starts focusing more inward and and I could sense that switch in you yeah and I saw the labor was just coming it wasn't stopping and the contractions you had to focus a lot more on them so when I saw that like definite change, I felt like you needed to, you know, there's no reason why not to have call the midwife and have her come and assess you. Right. You know? 
Yeah. Like probably when I started like throwing the phone and like pulling it out of my ear, you know, kind of thing. She probably realized, okay, I'm not seeing much of her. <laughs> this is it. And interestingly yeah, enough, I mean, I never had a birth like this. Like it was quite intense. There was something else I wanted to mention. I can't recall. That's okay. It'll come up. So, yeah, the kids were really good. I mean, they were like taking like a rolling pin to my back. They were just like oh. meeting every need. They were really sweet. And at 10.30, the midwife arrived at 10.30 p.m. And I was like six, six and a half centimeters. Perfect. And Yeah. And the midwife assistant comes. And yeah, that was, you know, at least there was just someone else. Like, you know, at that point, it was, I had a backup doula. But remember that... A doula is more than just like a hand to hold or grab my drink. It's also a relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you haven't kind of been leading up to the experience with you and like been counting down the days, there's also that component of it. So I think the option of, I do regret not calling that person, but I think there comes a point where, again, you just, you can, as a birthing woman, you can really only focus on one thing. Right. And that was, just kind of getting through it. But it really took me by surprise, you know, how intense. That's okay. I was just kind of rolling with it. I think one thing in home birth is you realize that, like, sometimes, you you know, you can't go above and you can't go below it. You just kind of, like, got to go through it. Like, Ooh, that's good. Just, just, <laughs> yeah, just commit because, you know, there's, like, to get in the car, that's 10 times worse than what you'd be going through right then. But it was definitely reassurance, and I kind of just kept up with it. I was in the shower a lot. I needed that birth pool. My husband's known to fill up births. Pool's way too warm back. And so I couldn't get I couldn't get it initially. It was like we don't want to boil the baby now. Um, <laughs> so we had to then like cool it down. <laughs> but I needed it and you know, I was drinking along the way, but sometimes, you know, when you really have a lot of hot water on yourself, you kinda have to like drink double time to make up for that. Because your body, even you could be in labor for a short period of time and get so warm that even though you're drinking, it can still take its effect. So I think after the delivery, it was like protocol to take blood and like they couldn't even like really get a vein. They couldn't find it. There was just nothing there because I had to like make up for all that heat that was taken out of me. So oh, wow. that's where, yeah, that's where that really extra support could have helped. And when I was next checked, like I kind of felt like this, a little bit of like a pushy feeling. I don't know that I really felt that before. I, most likely it was like a sense of like a fetal ejection reflex, I guess, where it's just like, rather than breathing, it just becomes like a bit like, you know, a little bit pushy. And I was just like, hey, like something has to change here. Like this, this is like a lot. And so the midwife comes in, she checks me and I'm like nine and a half centimeters. And that was obviously a pleasant surprise. And I was like, where's that bath? Like, I'm just getting in. Like, I just want this to end. Like, it was just one of those births, unfortunately. You know, I've had like the romantic, long, but moderate and mild one. And I had had something a little bit more real. And then this one was just like, just, can I just get it out of me now? Like, I'm ready to like, just do this. (laughs) Right. So I hopped in the pool and already they're like, just do whatever you want. You know, So I was like, okay. You know, I just felt like, I think in those moments, like Jacoba would have, kind of been all over it, you know, I was surprised that they, I guess they trusted me so much that they just like, do whatever you want. <laughs> I like was a little bit surprised by that. You would have um, preferred a little more direction? Yeah, I think so. I was like, I'm used I to a little bit more. Their, their, it's their approach. Like that's the kind of 
pathway that they take in birthing, like the right. more hands off. It's just kind of like an approach, like, yeah, which is important yeah. actually for women to, when they're choosing a birth worker, that they ask questions like, you know, what do you believe in? What, how are you going to help me in labor? Like, what will you do if, you know, those kind of questions, because then you can kind of see like, who's more of a fit for you. Because some That's people want someone who's like hands-on in their face, coaching them, pushing them. And other people really just want to do their own thing and they want to be left alone and someone there in case there's an emergency. Yep. There is definitely a spectrum of, you know, what midwives prefer, just like with any other, you know, like even with gardeners, I talk about that in Happy Home Birth Academy. Like, you know, there's just, everyone has their own approach. And I agree, Yakova, you know, really interviewing those midwives. And also one thing that other moms listening to this can kind of realize as you're hearing it is even if you've already chosen your care provider, if you let her know what you think you will want, then most likely she's going to be what it is that you are feeling that you're going to want in that situation. But that's a great point, Yosefa. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. And they, I mean, they were wonderful. Like they absolutely right. did their job. I was, you know, that was just kind of came a little bit, I guess they, they felt really confident in my ability. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was just, you know, like every birth is it's evolving. And for me, I guess you, you always know there's going to be like, no two births will be alike and there will be something different. And so this time, even though I've had all hands off births, but they were a little bit more directive. So in this instance, I really just relied on myself. I was just like shocked that like, okay, it's just me now. <laughs> but that's, I was just bringing up an idea that it would have, you know, I think Yakova would have been a lot more like all over it. And right. it also says something, you know, when you have that additional support, such as a doula, it's them who also kind of really get to know and can like step in because they've kind of built this relationship with you. So I just started pushing. It didn't take very long. And I know like our girls are like setting up the cameras and I kind of heard that in the background. So that was quite sweet. And I kind of, yeah, I just kind of baby, I guess, came out like I felt crowning. I felt everything, you know, it was very prominent. And he kind of just like fell to the bath and they told me to go look for him. So I pulled, you know, I pulled him up. (laughs) went fishing and yeah there he was he was just the most perfect little thing and I had my daughter behind me she was like quite emotional it was very sweet I don't know you covered what you were kind of seeing in the background there but I guess it went as smoothly as it could and yeah at that point I I felt like I put in the work and I was like you know we can finish this off now (laughs) it was just one of those you know sometimes they're like that yeah now I love this story because it even though you know you had a pandemic thrown upon you and curved your birthing plans like you, i can't even imagine you really made the best of the situation you still were able to work with your sister you took control of your birthing experience and had a beautiful birth i mean would you agree with that yeah definitely you know it's always like a scale to 1 to 10 sometimes you just get those really hard ones I felt maybe I was like a little bit overconfident. Maybe the whole pandemic was sort of like, you know, subconsciously or unconsciously like affecting me in more ways. It could have influenced it. The acupuncture, like I remember days following, I thought, you know, what made that so intense in comparison? Like what, what was it? But at the end of the day, you know, you have a shopping list, you know, you're looking to, to buy a house and you might like love 
seven to 10 things, but you're going to settle for five because those mm-hmm. five were the most important. <laughs> and that's I a knew great that, point. You know, yeah. And I knew that the homework for me, like that is where I felt the safest based on my previous experiences. That's what I knew. I didn't want to put myself into an institution where I was like fighting them. I don't need to bring my ideas onto them and push them onto them when I had other options. And yeah, I knew what those were and I was confident, but I was fine with that. So sometimes, you know, in life, like you have to settle and count your blessings. So by having a home birth, that was a blessing in itself. This is the thing I forgot to mention the first is that I had to have my baby by 3am. I had to review the bird then by 3am or been on the way to the hospital by 3am. And the baby was born at 1151 p.m. Wow. So and that I was based off of, few hours. that was because so of your water breaking? Was, yeah. So they typically oh, and the meconium. like, yeah, but particularly the water's breaking. You would have like right. 18, about 18 hours where you could be at home. And then you either have to have birthed within 24 hours or like be in transition about ready to have your baby. That's the, that was the plan. So I had like, the hospital, the backup hospital, everything we had spoken about at the beginning of the day that was all worked out. So I was on the time clock and I had a few hours to spare. So I was really thankful for that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing that you were able to get that labor going and get everything done within the time that you needed to have that done. (laughs) Exactly. And And you have, you know, sometimes you have to have perspective like that, like, Hey, you know, (laughs) like what, what was the worst I have, you know? And one thing that I mentioned to Yosefa that I think is really important for all women is the concept of like after birth, like taking some time, like it could be a week later, a few weeks later, whatever it needs to be, like just taking some time to assess and evaluate how the birth went for you, like either, you know, by journaling or birth art or diary or whatever it needs to be. I think just that's to a kind great of point. like. Yeah, I think it's good for everybody. I think it's like so cathartic. <laughs> so, you know, that's something that I stress to her and I always stress to women that it's a good thing to do. Definitely. And, and I think, and I yeah, like I, the idea. I, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, and I feel like this podcast is part of it. Like something within the weeks followed where I was just like, I feel like, you know, things should be spoken about. Like, I feel like this is, for me, this was like an evolved birth birth is ever changing. I went into my first birth and I came away thinking birth happy. I've gone, now this is my third and I'm thinking, you know, evolved birth. And that mm-hmm. this podcast is part of that, like being able to put it out there and voice, you know, in the time that we are in and also, you know, accounting for it. So I really thank Yakova and yourself to kind of help me bring it all together. Women, even though I do feel like the postpartum period is very suitable for newborns, and they're kind of where they're at developmentally. And that was wonderful. It can be isolating, you know, like mm-hmm. now, you know, people's families are staying away, some elderly, and you just kind of have the end of the day, you're stripped down to like your household. And so, yeah, it's very nice to be able to, you know, even audibly, <laughs> auditory to, to be able to connect. So this was like a nice way to kind of, you know, connect with everyone. Right. I I completely agree. And I thank you so much for bringing that up because I know that there have been so many moms in this, during this time, this pandemic that have struggled with isolation. Postpartum can be isolating without the pandemic. So adding this inability for moms to get that connection and, 
you know, seeing people face to face, that has, I know it's been a struggle. I've seen some of my close friends going through the same thing. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. And I really appreciate you sharing your story with all of this going on, Yosefa. Yeah, absolutely. Thankfully, I like, again, I, I think it's really suitable. And this, my son, here he is. <laughs> he, uh, he's just been an angel. And I don't know if it's like lucky number three or being, you know, just really settled at home is the best for newborns. And right. I do a bit of postpartum respite myself with other families. And I could see on the days that now that we're getting a little bit more active, I could see he's just more unsettled. So there really is a bonus from a postpartum perspective. I think newborn love just to kind of take it easy, know their space, even from a routine point of view, like he knows his bed, like he can self-settle. It could be personality, but I also see it as very, you know, in tune to their, to like their needs and paying attention. And there's a lot of research out there now showing women are there. The babies are, you know, up by 20% are returning to their birth weight within, you know, now like within a week. And that's because of people really focusing on their babies. Mm. Yep. There you go. Another silver lining. (laughs) That's amazing. Absolutely. Well, Yakova and Yosefa, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to hear both of your stories and I'm just so appreciative. Yeah, well, thank, thank you. you. I'm sure we'll look back on this. Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks it was nice. We'll have this treasure. What a powerful story. I am so delighted we were able to make this three-way interview work. As we head into the episode roundup, I have a few thoughts I'd love to share. Number one is the power of the feminine in the birthing situation. How incredible that Yakova and Yosefa both had stories of feminine connection regarding their births. Yakova experienced a beautiful blessing way, and Yosefa was able to rely on her sister even from afar and in the midst of a global pandemic. Also, it's so fascinating just how different regulations and laws are, not only from country to country, but from state to state. Fascinating and frustrating, honestly. Of course, it's my prayer and hope that home birth becomes more and more accepted and considered the norm, as we know the great benefits of physiological birth when possible. And finally, let's end where we began. Birth happens, whether there's a global pandemic or not. I know this has changed the plans of so many, and in a number of ways, it's caused great isolation. I hope that this podcast has brought some sense of community to you wonderful mothers and that it will continue to do so in the future. If you're looking for more connection, I'd love to have you in our Happy Home Birth Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com slash groups slash happy home birth to join or type in happy home birth podcast community. Okay, my friends, another wonderful interview in the books. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.